I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Every so often, you come across uh, an artist. Uh, maybe it's a musician who, uh, who, whose work is so compelling that you have to go in immediately, or at least as close as is feasible, go and buy all of their, their projects, their CDs or EPs or whatever the case is. Uh, maybe, it's a, maybe it's an artist, uh, a painter, whose work is so compelling that you do as much research as you can to find out about their lives and you, you look into uh, the work that they've done. This week's guest is one such artist. Although her medium is not in paintbrushes and it's not on a musical instrument, uh, rather, her, her craft is the written word. We're talking today with Jessica Keating, and she is a phenomenal author. Uh, she's an academic and the director of the Notre Dame Office of Life and Human Dignity, part of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. And whether she's writing about the saints or about life issues, catechesis of the Good Shepherd and uh, hospitality, or, or even about what it's like to live the single life, uh, whatever she's writing about is just so captivating. The turns of phrase that she employs are so beautiful uh, that I've, I've spent a good portion of my last week just pouring over whatever articles I can find. And, and I'm so excited to have this conversation with her today as we talk about uh, St. Francis. We're going to talk, starting off with St. Francis as the, the icon of hospitality and specifically how that should affect our pro-life position as Christians, as followers of Christ, and as Catholics. But before we get into that conversation here in just a moment, uh, I want to talk to you about Ash Wednesday. It's coming right up. First thing is to remind you that Ash Wednesday it falls on February 14th this year, and if that number sounds familiar, that's because it's Valentine's Day. So if you have a person who is expecting a Valentine's Day present or dinner or some other date type activity with you, be mindful that, uh, that we have the day of fasting and penance and abstinence required of us on this Wednesday, on this February 14th. So make sure that you get your date planned a little bit earlier than normal. Uh, maybe go out on, on Tuesday instead of Wednesday, which just happens to be uh, Fat Tuesday. Right, it's it's the day that we would generally, before we get involved in Lent, generally go out and celebrate. So it's already built in for you. Uh, make sure that you avail yourself of that so you don't get caught off guard. Uh, also, uh, I'm giving away a book on Ash Wednesday, and I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to sign up for it. Last week we talked with Edmund Mitchell of ReverbCulture.com and EdmundMitchell.com, and we decided to give away one of his books, a fabulous book called Meditations, where it takes 30 days of meditations from Scripture and from the Catechism. Uh, this first book is on the profession of faith, the Creed, and this would be great reading for you during this Lenten season. So go over to Facebook.com/slash/StepOutsideTheWalls. Uh, there's a giveaway tab, and right there. There are a number of different ways that you can uh, sign up for this giveaway. Now, if, uh, if you aren't able to, to get to the giveaway or if you go through the process of the giveaway and you don't win, well, you can also go to ReverbCulture.com slash meditations book 
and type in the coupon code OTW show. You get 20% off of that fabulous book for your Lenten meditation uh, this year. Now, there's one more thing that I want to make you aware of before we get into the bulk of this week's show. And that is, I want to pray for you this Lent. Uh, I'm going to be spending the first few days of Lent at, at an abbey. Uh, I'm going to take a break from the world, take some, uh, some time to go and pray. Pray with the monks, certainly, but also to pray uh, just before the face of Christ, to be in silence. As you know, I have seven children, so that's kind of hard to do, uh, to find a silent place. And so I'm taking some time to go out to a monastery, to an abbey. And I want to take your prayer requests with me. So I'm leaving just after Ash Wednesday. You've got to get all of your requests in before then because I am leaving technology behind. But if you will go onto Facebook.com or onto uh, to Twitter and give me the hashtag, hashtag OTWLent. That's outside the walls, Lent. Hashtag OTWLent and, and put your prayer request. Uh, let me know what it is you want me to pray for, for your family, for uh, maybe for the repose of a soul of someone who's dear to you, uh, maybe for some difficulty and some struggle that you're currently going through as a family or someone you know is going through. Uh, and I want to take that to prayer. Uh, I'll, I'll have opportunities to be uh, in Mass, that I'll offer that intention to Mass. I'll have opportunities uh, for Vespers and for just being in the presence of, of God over these few days. So you can tag me uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. You can, uh, you can also uh, tag me on Twitter, uh, mention me on Twitter there. That's at outside the walls. Give that also the hashtag OTWLent, and I will read over those. I'll write them down, and I will take them with me, put them in a prayer journal, and spend those three days as I'm listening for the voice of God. I'll also take those requests and put them before his feet. Now, that's what Lent is for, by the way. It's for us to really take our troubles, take our, our, our pains and our frustrations and our, even our temptations and to lay them down at the foot of Jesus and say, you know what? I've done everything I can. I've pushed as far as I can push with this specific issue and, and I can't do it anymore. And so I lay it down at your feet. And we go through that Lent and we experience that, that difficulty but we, we experience it knowing full well that Easter is coming. That's why we have hope. We have hope because we know that as difficult as our circumstances are, as troubling as they can be to us in the moment, ultimately Christ has overcome through his death and resurrection. That's what Lent is for. It's a reminder that, yes, Life is hard. Yes, we are weak and fragile and fallen, but Christ, who has redeemed us, has overcome the world. This is the promise he made uh, to his apostles there uh, after the Last Supper. He said, in this world, in that discourse in the book of John, where just uh, he goes on and on and talking about not only the apostles where they were, but talking about you and I as the church that would come out of uh, his work. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so I want you to take heart, and I want you to send me your prayer requests so that as I go uh, to spend some time with God there at the very beginning of Lent, I can take you with me. So again, go to facebook.com slash step outside the walls, Twitter the handles at outside the walls, and make sure you give it the hashtag OTW Lent. 
we got a great show for you today. In just a moment, right after this break, we're going to be talking with Jessica Keating. She's the director of the Notre Dame Office of Life and Human Dignity at the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. You can find out more information by going to lifeinitiatives.nd.notredame.edu or churchlife.nd.edu. Great show for you today. Don't go anywhere. Unless, of course, you're going to go over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls or even over to our website, outside the But if you do go over there, don't go away too long because we'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and we're talking today with Jessica Keating. She's the director of the Notre Dame Office of Life and Human Dignity and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. Jessica, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you. So first thing I want to do, I want to talk a little bit about the McGrath Institute for Church Life because it is fantastic. Uh, and I've just been incredibly impressed. We had Dr. John Cavadini on, I think about a year ago, uh, and he is part of that Institute for Church Life. But you've also got a journal of beautiful articles, amazing work, uh, that that you can find at churchlife.nd.edu, where some of your own writing has been found, which is where we found you, and we're so excited to have you here today. I'm so excited to be here. So talk to us just a little bit. What is the Institute for Church Life, what's the mission of it, and and what's your part in that? Sure. So as you know, John Cavadini is the director of the Institute for Church Life, and the Institute is really the university's outreach to the church. Um, that There's this dialogue that needs to go on between the church and the university. What are the pastoral needs of the church? What are the intellectual needs of the church? And what? how can a university in particular help the church do the work that she does in evangelization, in pastoral ministry, in catechesis. And so the Institute seeks to renew the Catholic imagination um, through higher learning and higher levels of, not higher levels, but through helping the church do what she does um, in any way that the university can. There used to be this really close connection between the university and the pastoral life of the church when, you know, when it was founded in uh, the medieval period. And so how can we reestablish those bonds of relationship between uh, the university and and the church? So here at the Institute, we have a number of programs um, and initiatives that we do to do just that. So whether it's sending recently graduated college graduates into ministry placements as ECHO apprentices while they receive their master's degree from Notre Dame. It's having liturgy conferences where we bring people in from all over the country who are in ministry, who are doing this work on the ground. Uh, We work with teachers in science and religion. We work with high school students um, in the Notre Dame vision conferences. And that also draws in our our undergraduates who serve as mentors in faith. So we do a lot of different points of outreach to the entire church over her, you know, entire life cycle and in all of her um, apostolic missions and sacramental work. Mm -hmm. My work in particular um, 
is to help renew the idea of human dignity um, in our world and particularly to help articulate it in a way that can be understood in the context of the faith, but is also appealing to those who might not have a faith or be of a different faith. Um, human dignity is often reduced to um, mere autonomy or you know, humans are nothing more than a collection of atoms or molecules, and so we can do whatever we want with them. Um, and the church has something more robust to say about that. And it's a, it's an intellectual defense that sort of builds to this, this idea that we wonder before the other person. Um, that's where I sort of fit in. And this derives, I think, from a really a sacramental vision of the world. But anyone can understand, um, anyone can be attracted by that, whether they're Catholic or not, it's a it's an attractive way of inhabiting the world mm-hmm. as a human being. Well, and we see that in the life of the saints, which is one of the articles that you've written about uh, about Saint Francis of Assisi and his uh, his really recognizing the dignity of the human person in a way that that maybe wasn't common in his time frame. Uh, you read a, 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 an a hagiography about him that. Uh, that really brought this out to light um, mm-hmm. from from Salino, uh, and I'm probably saying that wrong, but the... no, I think you got it. Oh, awesome! Solano. So I uh, I read uh, the Hagiography by G.K. Chesterton, and I was really struck in in his life about how he really noticed and treated each person with inherent dignity with that story of how the beggar came to him and he, and he chased him down to make sure that he gave him equal time and, and, and invested in, in that beggar. But you took it even a step further as you were coming to, to terms with him. Uh, and in an article that we're going to put a link to on our social media, you talk about St. Francis being transformed by the fire of God's love that he even saw the dignity of worms. Tell mm-hmm. us that story and how it's connected. Yeah, so I first actually heard this story from John Cavadini in a class that we run called On Human Dignity. It's a one-credit class for undergraduates to introduce them to the matrix of this concept as a lived reality. And I was just so struck by that habit that St. Francis developed to see even like who I mean, who cares about worms? Nobody. Um, They get washed up. They're disgusting. Even as a kid, there was a song we used to sing about being hated. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll go eat worms. So this association with worms of being sort of the the excrement of creation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that Francis was so consumed by God's love that he even sees in God an image of the crucified Christ because Christ takes the words of the psalmist and and the psalmist says, I am a worm. Mm -hmm. I'm nothing more than than this basis of base creatures Um, and treats that worm as he would treat a human being to protect it, to move it out of the way, to um, see its inherent goodness for what it is. Um, and so this idea that like human dignity and respect for creation are somehow in conflict, I think like the saints really show us that it's not one thing or the other, that being being a Christian is being is always sort of choosing both. Um, I was listening to Helen Prejean yesterday and she talks about the two arms of the cross mm. and that for being a Christian, you are you are taking both arms 
and spreading them out so that you're able to to love you know people who have been victimized and victimizers that you are able to see the goodness of all of creation as a gift from god If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Jessica Keating, director of the Notre Dame Office of Life and Human Dignity. And, and this is something that I think we we very often miss. We get focused in on maybe one specific pet issue, whether that issue for us is the issue of abortion or whether it's the issue of immigration or whatever that pet issue is for us. And we focus in so hard in a, in a narrow way on the very important matters to that issue that we lose sight of the broader picture that not only is humanity imbued with the, the image of God and therefore incomparable worth, incomparable dignity, but all of creation uh, is, is a gift from God and, and is his creation and should be treated with a certain dignity just as you would, uh, you know, if you're borrowing something from a friend, you're going to treat it with the dignity that you That's owe right. to that friend. And so yeah. we who are borrowing this this earth from God uh, and from future generations, we have a certain amount of respect that we owe uh, not only to our fellow humans, but to the worm. Yeah, it's that sort of seamless interweaving of what it means to be stewards of the earth, that we're not lords, we're not, we don't have dominion over other human beings, over creation, but but creation is going to be part of the resurrection. We know that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and, and that is starting now. If we, if we believe in the message of the gospel, that starts now. It hasn't reached its fullness. Christ hasn't, but we are, Paul says, I'm groaning. I'm groaning uh, for, for, the, for the return of Christ, and creation's groaning, and that that is all going to be part of the resurrection. And so I think like that's a really helpful way to see this integration. Um, I think you're absolutely right about pet issues. And, you know, it's so important to have people that are committed, that commit their lives to this one thing. It is, you know, my vocation to do X, my charism to do Y, and are working on these concrete issues, the death penalty, immigration, abortion. And that's that's what a Christian vocation is all about. Um, I think the, the difficulty and what, what I find challenging is when those groups see, see themselves in competition with one another. Right. Or, or even worse, in opposition to one another. That's correct. Yeah. Not, not even so much that I, I need to compete for the same amount of, uh, of attention, but actually saying I disagree with with your that's perspective. Right. Yeah. That's right. And I think that's what happened has happened in our political discourse around abortion and around immigration and around the death penalty. Um, that that we've not only seen this kind of competition, but this um, this deep, deep disagreements that you, you can't find the justification for in the catechism mm-hmm. or in um, in the gospels. You can find an ordering, you can find a hierarchy of life issues, right. um, but but you can't find this sort of combativeness between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to go back to something that you you mentioned earlier. You talked about that the earth is going to be a part of uh, of the resurrection as well, and. I think a lot of people get tripped up by by the translation of a new heaven and a new earth, uh, thinking that it's you know from a fresh start. 
rather than a renewed earth. That right. that this is just like we have a bodily resurrection, and yes, we're getting new heavenly bodies, but it is the one that I'm carrying with me. That's right. This is the one. Uh, in the same way, yes, we get a new heaven and a new earth, but it's it's the one we've got right now that has been uh, reborn. That's right. That God has given, like in creation, God gives us this first outpouring of self, this gift of himself in creation. In uh, the incarnation and resurrection, God gives us the pinnacle of his self-gift of love. And in the parousia, at the end of time, God will perfect this earth, this body. Um, and I think that, that that wasn't something I even really thought about very much until I actually read Dante. And you're reading Dante and Paradiso, and you're hearing about saints who remember their past, who remember um, what they did on earth, who remember the earth. And you have these deep images of renewal of the earth, of you know, flowers and garden and glittering like gemstones and human beings whose whose sins have become sites of mercy. Hmm. Um, heaven, people don't forget who they were. Everything becomes recast in the light of God's mercy. Um, so it's not, we're not getting a brand new earth. It's this earth. It's this body. It's that person that I might not like that much. They will save <laughs> us. That's our hope. Right. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, maybe, I, maybe I do need to go to the gym. I mean, this is, this is the one, you know, may, maybe I do need to recycle. Maybe I do need to, you know, patch up that relationship with that person that drives me nuts. That's right. That's right. We're talking today with Jessica Keating, director of the Notre Dame office of life and human dignity in the McGrath Institute for church life. We got much more right after this break, so don't go anywhere. Join us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We've got a lot of links there of articles you're going to want to read. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're talking with Jessica Keating. She's the director of the Notre Dame Office of Life and Human Dignity in the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame, and that is a mouthful. It uh, sure is. <laughs> you talked talked a little bit earlier about the work that uh, the Institute for Church Life does there at Notre Dame and connecting the church and the academy again. But one of the things that y'all do there that I love uh, is you have lectures on a fairly regular basis that, you know, I can't get up to South Bend on a regular basis. I, I That's just too much of a commute for me. But you put it up on YouTube. We do. <laughs> right. So you've got all of these, you've got Saturdays with the Saints and, and so much more where you can, yeah, there's a recent one that was just delightful about um, uh, venerable or, or blessed now, Father Solanus Casey. Uh, and so by all means, please avail yourself. Go to youtube.com slash ICL Notre Dame. ICL is Institute for Church Life Notre Dame. YouTube.com ICL Notre Dame and, and avail yourself of these fantastic lectures. Uh, and so now let's, let's go ahead and we've talked about St. Francis as the icon of hospitality. You've had, this is a beautiful piece that they can find uh, online there at uh, churchlife.nd.edu. But I want to 
change just a little because the icon is something that we meditate on that then moves us to, uh, to conversion, right? Uh, th- that's the whole point of, of looking to the lives of the saints is that our lives would then begin to uh, be shaped into that. You know, we, you are what you eat, you are what you appropriate, you are what you gaze upon. Uh, and so now we're called as Christians to the conversion toward a life of hospitality. And this life of hospitality kind of grabbed you kicking and screaming uh, yeah. from, from being a, a, a pro-choice proponent to assenting to pro-life, to verbalizing that you were pro-life, to then now you're, now you're the director of life initiatives. Uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit about how the saints brought you, uh, the saints and, and other holy people who may not yet be canonized, brought you into this place where you are now exuding and teaching others to live a life of hospitality. Yeah. So my journey to, to the pro-life movement, to, um, sort of this consistent ethic of life. Um, I mean, it begins in college, but I spent a period of time on a reservation in South Dakota, uh, teaching high school and, I have to assume that that kind of slow pace of life and really being being in the thick of other people's struggles, my own struggles, um, not being able to distract myself immediately with something um, gives you time to it changes you. Um, and and then sort of I encounter Dorothy Day, who's not yet a saint, but is venerable. Um, and I encountered her writings and I took a class on her when I came to Notre Dame for graduate school for my master of divinity. Um, and so I'm, I, at this point I haven't articulated that I am, you know, pro-life and do not think we should be practicing abortion as a society, uh, where I'm from, um, sort of like the enlightened person is pro-choice. It's just, that's the position you take. Um, and I remember as a child seeing images of the March for Life, and they always pick, you know, the person who's hostile to interview on TV. And so this this is what I grew up with. Um, but I'm reading Dorothy Day, and I'm like sort of complaining to the professor that, well, I understand that like life in the womb is sacred, but what troubles me is when it becomes the only issue. And he said, well, you can see why it becomes the only issue since 55 million children have died. And that sort of coming from somebody who was deeply involved in the Catholic worker movement, um, me for the first time as, and then I get more into Dorothy's writings and I get more into her own story and somebody who lived this deeply consistent, um, ethic of life, of hospitality, of welcome, of having Christ rooms. She was herself. I mean, she had an abortion and she deeply regretted it. She's a, she's a flawed human being, but, but we're all flawed human beings. Right. Um, and she lives this life that is totally expended for other people that sees there's a story she tells of being a child and walking down, you know, the slums in Brooklyn and seeing this flower popping out of the concrete. And she had this eye for, for life, for seeing the beauty in people that nobody else saw goodness in and, but also not sugarcoating it, you know, not, not, not saying 
the, you know, this guy who came in drunk is a great person. No. Um, but we are called to minister. We are called to love every person because Christ doesn't need to come and save us, Mm -hmm. but God loves us so much. That's what like the poorest of the poor means. It's first God's extension of himself to humanity. We are the poorest of the poor. Um, and so living that kind of vision out in the world. So she just, she captured my heart. And then I started learning more about other saints, uh, Maximilian Colby, Damien of Molokai, saints who are putting themselves um, at risk. Right. At, um, right. In service to others, to concrete other people. And this is where I think practice is so important. These mm-hmm. practices of hospitality, which aren't huge when they start. It's a right. pattern of life that builds. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Jessica Keating, director of the Notre Dame Office of Life and Human Dignity. And Jessica, you have an amazing way with words in your article. So I, I don't normally do this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna quote a little bit of your article. Uh, it's, it's, it's a couple of years old, so you might not like it, but, uh, this is, uh, this is about why we March. This was a couple of years ago before the March for life. And you said being pro-life is not simply an intellectual ascent, but a way of seeing the other as a gift. Such a vision of the way things re- really are will always cut against the grain of power and efficiency. But this call, but this is the call of Christians in every age to go to those places where humanity is vulnerable and wounded, those places marked by hostility to life, and to embrace it. We march because we're called to be concrete signs of witness to the beauty and dignity of the fragile among us. It's stuff that we've heard before, but just such a beautiful way of putting it. And this idea of seeing the other as a gift and specifically those people with whom we disagree and those people who annoy us a little bit by their stubborn insistence on, on being wrong, right? <laughs> that person is a gift to us if we would only embrace them. And that's our call is, is to not only focus and meditate on these icons of hospitality, but then to embody that hospitality because that's, that's what it means to be Christian, to, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to embody, to be in some ways an ultra Christus, another Christ to the world around us. So talk a little bit about what practically it would look like for us uh, to go beyond the, the ideology and, and even the intellectual ascent into that pragmatic, getting your hands dirty life of hospitality. Yeah, I think... You know, it looks different for each person. And that's where where considering one's life circumstances comes in, where considering what one is capable of doing um, comes into play. And so this life of hospitality, just like we see in the saints, takes a multitude of forms. Um, I think some things that are, are very concrete um, in terms of hospitality are is getting involved um, with a community of prayer, with a community of outreach. Um, I think for me, uh, tithing is part of that. Um, and so is being involved in my local Catholic worker. I'm, you know, a distant sort of member, but it's important for for these small practices that remind us we are not the center of the world. Uh-huh. 
Um, and I think that's a real danger in modern life is to think that I am the center of the world. Um, I don't remember all the practices that I laid out in that article. Well, you, um, gave, you gave six and one of them is my favorite. Yes. <laughs> I'm a father of seven children. And your first one was offer a night of free childcare to friends or neighbors and do this okay. regularly. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah. And I actually think that's a really easy idea that churches could start. You know, that you get the young people in your church, you get a list of their names, their contact information, and parents can have a night of free childcare once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a concrete ministry that the church could offer families that makes it easier for people to choose life. Mm-hmm. Um, because this idea of the nuclear family, while so important, needs support from the community. Um, and so how can we support families in their lives as families, in their lives as mothers and fathers, in their vocations? And so for me, as somebody who's single, you know, being a part of families is incredibly important. And that is where I can I can concretely practice mm-hmm. hospitality to children, to parents, um, to make it easier for them to be, be good parents, be, mm-hmm. um, have time to pray. You know, it's so hard for parents to get away and pray sometimes. Right. With their, so providing, it's these really small acts that accumulate over time um, to a life. Right. You know, I, I, uh, in the beginning of this piece, you talk about the the struggle of the independence of our nation, that we're so focused on independence and efficiency. Uh, And in this independence, it's not just individuality because we are all different, but the idea that I can, I can live my life independent of the needs of others and that they can live their life independent of my needs uh, this is precisely opposite of what the church taught in its earliest days, that we are a family and we are a community and we have a responsibility to one another, uh, not just to get ourselves to heaven, not just to get our families to heaven, but to walk on this pilgrimage toward heaven as a unit together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have this interplay, which goes back to the Hebrew scriptures of community, of a corporate identity and a personal identity. And uh, those those two identities have been sort of like rent apart in modernity. You either have collectivism or you have radical autonomy, right. but there isn't that break in, in the biblical imagination. There is an integration of community, corporate identity, and personal individual identity. That's what it means when we say totus Christus. We mean that really mystically and sacramentally, and, and really mean it, literally, sort of. Um, when Christ says what you did unto me, he didn't say it's as if you did it unto me. Right. He says you did it unto me. And so I think recapturing this idea of um, what it means to be a person in community, which was so sort of intuitive in the early church and was intuitive for John Paul II, is important for us to recapture in our own lives. We've been talking today with Jessica Keating, director of the Notre Dame Office of Life and Human Dignity. Please go check him out over at lifeinitiatives.nd.edu. Catch him on YouTube, youtube.com slash ICL Notre Dame. Don't go anywhere. There's much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Wall.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Button, and today we have been talking with Jessica Keating. She's the director of the Notre Dame Office of Life and Human Dignity, part of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. Seriously, I, I had the the privilege of going to a symposium that was put on by the Institute for Church Life and the, uh, the USCCB uh, a few years ago. On uh, It's a symposium on pastoral issues in science and human dignity. And they've made all of those lectures, as well as uh, all of the other lectures that they've done, they've made them available for free on YouTube. So go over to youtube.com slash ICL, Notre Dame, uh, and, and that will take you to all those talks. They've got Saturdays with the Saints. They've got some just beautiful uh, stuff. They're a recent one on Father Solanus Casey. Uh, and please go avail yourself of that. You know you're going to be watching YouTube anyway. Take the time and, and enrich your life a little bit with the academics of Notre Dame. If you've missed any part of this show or there's someone that you know that really would benefit from hearing today's show, all of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, today's episode will be up just as soon as we're finished broadcasting here live. And, and you can share that on social media, send it in an email, any way you want to, uh, and spread the word. There's also an extra segment with, uh, with Jessica today uh, available to those people who support the show through Patreon. If you go to OutsideTheWalls.com, up there at the top of the page, it says uh, support the show, Patreon. Click that link and you can find a number of different levels that you can support the show and a number of different uh, gifts that you get in return, uh, including these extra segments that we record every week. So go take a look at that over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Let's turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. And again, this is one of those times that the, the scriptures that are given to us in the lectionary just line up perfectly uh, with what we've been talking about today. Our reading from scripture today actually comes from this coming Tuesday, uh, right before Ash Wednesday. And of course, it ties in our meditation from today into our Lenten observance as well. And this is the first reading of the day, and it comes from the book of James. Blessed is he who perseveres in temptation. For when he has been proven, he will receive the crown of life that he promised to those who love him. No one experiencing temptation should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God is not subject to temptation to evil, and he himself tempts no one. Rather, each person is tempted when lured and enticed by his desire. Then desire conceives and brings forth sin, and when sin reaches maturity, it gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. All good giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no alteration or shadow caused by change. He willed to give us birth by the word of truth, that we may be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. That reading comes from the book of James, chapter 1. And our reading from, uh, from church history comes from this past Thursday out of the breviary, and it's an explanation of Paul's letter to the Galatians by St. Augustine. The apostle says, Be like me, for though born a Jew, by reason of spiritual discernment, I now consider carnal things of small importance. And he adds, For I am as you are, that is to say, for I, like you, am a man. Then he tactfully reminds them of his love, so that they will not look on him as an enemy. Brothers, I beseech you, he says, you did me no wrong. 
as if to say, do not imagine that I want to wrong you. And to have them imitate him as they would a parent, he addresses them as little children. My little children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ be formed in you. Actually, here he is speaking more in the person of Mother Church than his own. So too, he says elsewhere, I was gentle among you, like a nurse fondling her little ones. Christ is formed in the believer by faith of the inner man, called to the freedom that grace bestows, meek and gentle, not boasting of non-existent merits, but through grace, making some beginning of merit. Hence, he can be called my least one by him who said, inasmuch as you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Christ is formed in him who receives Christ mold, who clings to him in spiritual love. By imitating him, he becomes as far as possible to his condition what Christ is. John says, he who remains in Christ should walk as he did. Children are conceived in order to be formed in their mother's womb. And when they have been so formed, mothers are in travail to give them birth. We can thus understand Paul's words, with whom I am in labor until Christ be formed in you. By labor, we understand his anxiety for those with whom he is in travail, that they be born unto Christ. And he is again in labor when he sees them in danger of being led astray. These anxieties, which can be likened to the pangs of childbirth, will continue until they come to full age in Christ, so as not to be moved by every wind of doctrine. He is not therefore talking about the beginnings of faith by which they are born, but of strong and perfect faith when he says, with whom I am in labor until Christ be formed in you. He also refers elsewhere in different words to his being in labor when he says, There is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Today's reading comes from uh, St. Augustine's explanation of Paul's letter to the Galatians. And this, I think, is just a very good summation of our conversation today and a summation as we begin moving into the season of Lent. The question we're faced with today is, have we been fully formed in Christ? Right. We go back to that, that question about uh, temptation. That temptation wants to, uh, to produce in us sin, and it wants to produce in us death. It, we, this is a, a gestation of sorts, uh, is the language that, that's used by, by James. And so, are we going to give birth to sin and then ultimately to death? Or are we... Uh, as, as Paul talks to the, the people of Galatia, are we going to be fully formed in Christ to where we are viable, where we can really be out in the world and survive as Christians uh, from all of those things that would tempt to tend to infect us, right? Are we going to be infected by the, uh, the efficiency model of our culture today, or are we going to step back and to look at all of creation, but in particular at the human person, with, uh, with eyes of love, as Jess put in her writing, uh, to see the other as a gift from God. And this is a challenge for us because we very much, like she mentioned, we want to see ourselves as the center, maybe not of the whole world, but at least of our story. 
we want to see that, uh, you know, we, we know, we're in the middle of our story, so we understand it and we know all the parts and we, you know, my, my children, they have uh, favorite quotes from their favorite movies. Well, we, we're in the middle of our story in our heads and our, our eyes are the cameraman of our story and we have our favorite quotes from our story, from our life that we keep going back to. And the question is, are we willing to, uh, to consider the possibility that we are a, a supporting actor, a supporting actress in someone else's story? Are we willing, even worse, to consider the fact that maybe we're just an extra? Maybe we have a part to play, but it's in the background. And so as we come into Lent, as we are today meditating on and focusing on the dignity of the human person and the dignity of creation— Let's take a step back from our own story and say, how does my line, how does my spoken word, how does my, uh, my blocking decisions, right, walk from here to there, how does that impact the broader story of creation? How does that impact the broader story of society? And what is my part to play? How are others dependent upon me? How, what, what do I owe to those who are around me? What kind of, of kindness, what kind of hospitality do I owe to those who are around me? Do I owe to the unborn? Do I owe to the, the immigrant? Do I owe to those who are in poverty? What do I owe to society around me? And so as we approach Lent, as we're thinking today about the dignity of the human person, specifically regarding the unborn, let's draw our eyes and our thoughts to the worm. Just like St. Francis, where can we find Christ in the lowest? Where can we find the beauty of his creation all around us and to, to really prop up and boost and support that creation in a way that would make us good stewards? And as we do this throughout the season of Lent, as we look to the other as a gift, as we look to uh, the places that society needs us to step up and be advocates. Christ, in that act, will continue to be fully formed in us so that we can uh, enjoy his friendship forever. That's what it means for us to be formed so fully in Christ, that Christ is formed so fully in us that then we can be born. This is born again, yes, but this is more so born into holiness, born into sainthood, born into friendship with God. I want to remind you to go over to our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. We still have that giveaway of the book from Reverb Culture, Meditations 01, that we want to give away to you for your Lenten observance. Uh, that drawing will happen on Wednesday. So make sure you get your entry in over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Also visit us on Twitter, the handles at Outside the Walls, as we have conversations all through the week. This week's episode has been brought to you by the Friend Family and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. Get extra content. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.